Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough Winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 64 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And the Mets search for a president of baseball operations and or a GM and then eventually a manager rolls on. It sounds like Billy Bean is out. It sounds like the Brewers have blocked the Mets from talking to David Stearns. So the search gets much more interesting. No surprise there. Joe, let's bring in, um, you know, what What have you made of this news? I don't think you're the type of person that's really that alarmed by this extending beyond the original three mentioned. No, I mean, I'm not really stunned by any means. You know, I know that we certainly talked about what they could bring to the table because that's where the Mets focus seemed to be. But ultimately, I think these were just pipe dream candidates. And, you know, I fell into the trap of thinking a pipe dream could become a reality. But if you think about it, guys that are in roles like this, they're not looking to just leave and do the same thing somewhere else very often. Uh, I mean, Billy Bean's working his way out of baseball, not working his way further into the trenches of baseball. Um, and that's something that certainly we've talked about over the last couple of weeks here. And, you know, also uprooting his family cross country. Like when it comes to these executives, like it's not like a free agent player where Steve Cohen could just throw the biggest paycheck at Javi Baez and he'll just sign with the Mets because he wants the biggest paycheck. Executives don't really yearn for that so much. Um, so it's definitely a different world. And then, of course, uh, with David Stearns, Milwaukee for the second year in a row, not granting permission. Um, there was some thought that, hey, uh, Stearns' contract ends after the 2022 season. If he really wants the job, he kind of try to persuade ownership to let him go. And maybe the Mets throw something their way and they work it out. But turns out that Stearns has at least a, a club option for the 2023 season, if not an option year for 2024 as well. So uh, David Stearns, Billy Bean will not be running the Mets. Obviously, we talked about Theo Epstein in the past. And now they move on to the next layer of candidates, which to me is uh, some really, really good candidates. Uh, and I think people get just got accustomed to the concept that the Mets were going to get this quote unquote star executive. Um, I think what the Mets need to be looking for is someone established, but someone that could be the next David Stearns, the next Billy Bean. And you know, we'll talk about a few candidates here uh, shortly, but I, I'm not alarmed at all by how, how this went. It, it's not shocking. And now it's kind of the philosophy like, hey, the Mets shot for the moon and now they're coming back to Earth. And all right, now let's talk about the real candidates. I think that's a great way of putting it. I think that, you know, you and I out of the gate were very skeptical about Theo really skeptical and even if they were able to work something out I, I was definitely skeptical of him wanting that type of job this is as great as the paycheck is probably going to be and as legendary as you can become running the New York Mets and building them into a contender and the resources you're going to have 
this is a job that you are really going to be throwing the rest of your life away to succeed. That's just the way it is working at that level of sports. And in this spot where you're going to be working under a guy that is very demanding in Steve Cohen. And I think that's a great thing, right? I kind of laugh when I see pieces or thoughts about him tweeting or being, you know, negative about things. I I think the Mets need things like that, where there should be expectations here to not just go out and play, but to actually win some games, make the playoffs, and eventually have the, you know, big time goal of winning a World Series. And, And I knew Theo was beyond those days of wanting to grind like that. Kind of felt it with Billy Bean as well. I think what Billy Bean made Billy Bean enticing is you probably would feel really comfortable about who he can bring with him, both from a front office perspective and also a potential manager perspective with Bob Melvin. But that one also always seemed like, eh, it could happen, but I don't know if it's that fit for a guy that you're sitting there going, he could be the guy for the next 10 plus years. And then David Stearns, who has been at the top of our list on the show for quite some time, we always knew that it was going to be in his court because we were always told he had one year left on his deal. And there are rumors out there that he is interested in this job, which isn't shocking because he is a New York guy and and maybe he, you know, he's a younger guy that could see this being his next, you know, 10 plus years. But having those options, the Brewers obviously win all the leverage there and can block him and can essentially control his career. Uh, for too long, based too long that the Mets need to figure things out by then. It's just that simple. So the question we enter is, now what? And before I get into those names, because you know you tweeted out a really good list of names, and we have them all here, and you're going to go through each of these guys. And I think there is a bizarre feeling of panic, maybe, like almost like last year, where it's like, does anyone want this job? And I don't really think that's the case. I just think they had those three names that everyone knows. So everybody assumes those are great and those are possible. And if you don't get them, it's a failure. And I don't necessarily think that's the case. And that's why we're going to get into it today that this search rolls on. And there are young executives that maybe their names aren't in the media as much, but they can do promising, promising things. So we'll start at the top here, Joe, and we'll do this one as a duo because they both work for the Dodgers Josh Burns and Brandon Gomes, two high-profile names. We've heard them, you know, connected to the Mets a little bit. Like Stearns, there seem to be some questions here of the Dodgers, you know, maybe using actually a promotion in place to keep these guys. But what's the lowdown on both Burns and Gomes, and how realistic do you think they are? So Josh Burns, uh, you've probably know him he was a gm for the diamondbacks and the padres in you know 2005 to 2010 with the diamondbacks and uh, 2011 through 2014 with san diego he's my kind of guy uh to the point where you know his baseline is in scouting and player development and to me that's the kind of guy that where he stands uh currently as the senior vice president of baseball operations for the dodgers He's a guy that you'd have to offer that president of baseball operations role to, I think, in order to entice him to come over to the Mets. Uh, I know that Burns turned down the Phillies job last year. Wasn't I don't know if it was offered. I think it was kind of like a Billy Bean thing where he took himself out of consideration. So it's possible he's comfortable with the Dodgers. Uh, but certainly if they're looking for a president of baseball operations, Josh Burns fits the bill. A guy like Brandon Gomes, more of the very young up and coming guy that uh, really is a player development major guy. And he worked his way up to assistant GM there with the Dodgers. And he's the kind of guy that maybe he's if you fail to get that president of baseball operations again, maybe Brandon Gomes is, you know, this year's Jared Porter in a sense where it's the young guy that gets the GM job and you really just want to groom him over time. But there's a lot of word that the Dodgers are going to do everything they can to keep Gomes around, possibly offering him the general manager's job, which would be the number two in LA uh, under, of course, Andrew Friedman. Yeah, it's an interesting tandem. And and I think when you look at it, We've heard so much smoke around the Dodgers being prepared to protect 
uh, Gomes in the form of a promotion if the Mets do opt to check into him that it does make you kind of skeptical in the route of what they've already experienced going down this road before. But, you know, like you said, Burns, a guy that has a big-time track record with the draft, at the same time, I don't think the draft has necessarily been the problem for the last 10 years for the Mets, although you could always look to add new faces and, and just get better all around. And I think my last question for these two that I have to you is, is there any reason anyone would want to leave the Dodgers front office right now? If you have a desire, and this kind of will go, frankly, for all the candidates that we're going to talk about today, um, do you have a desire to run baseball operations? And that's, you know, by all accounts, that's what the Mets seem to be offering to these candidates is you're going to have the ability to run baseball operations. And you know, Josh Burns obviously has a big hand in what the Dodgers do. Brandon Gomes does as well. Uh, but do they want to potentially run the show somewhere else? They may. They may not. That's the thing. This list, you know, this is not uh, sourced information where I'm saying, like, the Mets have reached out or have interest in these guys. I don't know if they do or don't. Uh, but these are just guys that I think fit the mold if you're looking to fill that top baseball operations job. Um, as far as your comment about, you know, the Mets drafting well, I mean, we obviously know that's true. Um, Tommy Tannis and Mark Tremito do a great job. I think the benefit of having someone at the top of your baseball operations department whose, you know, primary focus has been player development and drafting will only enhance the Mets' ability to continue to draft and develop talent and maybe put more of an emphasis on making sure that farm system is juiced up with talent and constantly churning guys up to the major league. So you're playing less of the four a players. And, you know, if you have injuries, you're calling upon quality prospects to come up and play. And I think you would just see more of an emphasis on, you know, growing internally. And I think that obviously would be a good thing. Absolutely. No doubt about that. So, all right, the next one, this is a name that's probably, quite familiar to the Mets fan base by now, Mike Chernoff from Cleveland. The, you know, it kind of surprised me a little bit to see him pop up again after how last year went. Obviously, there is a local connection here. That's no secret. But at the same time, somebody that is in a pretty good position with that organization. So what's the lowdown on Chernoff? So Chernoff turned down the Mets last year. Um, these... These uh, guys that I'm going to talk about, you're going to be able to get access to them if you want to. Uh, all of them would be getting a promotion. Uh, most of them are either a VP or a general and manager. A <laughs> and they'd get a raise, but they'd get uh, a promotion in title. So it's not a rule like it is in the NFL where you have to allow it. It's just obviously bad business practice to become the employer that stunts people's growth or tries to prevent, you know, development. Um, so the Mets can get permission for Chernoff. They did get permission to ask him last year by Cleveland and Chernoff just said he did not want to uproot his family. And there's a distinct possibility that that's the same exact answer again. Um, he's the general manager, of course, under Chris Antonetti with the Indians. And, you know, I think he's perfectly fit to run a baseball ops department, uh, Cleveland, does a really good job of developing talent. You know, they're going through, you know, a bit of a transition here, obviously, since trading Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez might get traded potentially this offseason. So there's some changes going on in Cleveland. You don't know if the mind changed. It's one of those things that, you know, I'm calling and asking again, hey, do you want to leave Cleveland and, you know, come back near your home? But apparently his wife is happy in the Cleveland area. So it's very possible you just get that no again. But I have no problem making that phone call and trying again. Without a doubt. It's always it always makes sense to check in. And I think with Chernoff, you know, the the reasons to be skeptical of him taking this job is that he's about a forty year old guy with kids and a wife and he's been in Cleveland, you know, for quite some time now, honestly. I, I think what people, you know, sometimes forget with these guys is that there's a human element. After playing at Princeton, he took an internship with Cleveland, and that's you know that's been it, right? Isn't that that's kind of crazy when you think about it? Is that he 
you know, stopped playing baseball after college, interned with Cleveland, and then he really just climbed the ladder in the traditional way of director of baseball relations, assistant general manager in 2010. And then 2014, when the Padres reached out to interview for their GM spot, even though he was only an assistant GM, he declined that opportunity. So clearly happy with Cleveland then. Then after 2015, when Antonetti gets promoted from GM to president of baseball operations, Sharonoff gets promoted from assistant GM to GM. So this is, I think it's kind of obvious when you read and go through that timeline that this is a place that he has a great relationship with, a place that he is connected to, a place that there's probably trust there because when he's had opportunities to leave, there's clearly been a, a some kind of promise that he will continue to get promoted and he has, rather than go somewhere else, potentially fail, and then you're on the outside looking in in the industry, which, working in football and covering this exact thing, it's a real-time fear that guys have. They know, Especially when they're in their 30s or early 40s, they think they're too young to go take that, hey, I'm going to make a lot of money for three years, but I don't know what's going to be after that, and I'll be too young to really retire and just live off of all that money. So... Those are things that you have to keep in mind. Now, reasons why this might be a job that makes a lot of sense for him. Like you said, Joe, this is a chance for a big-time promotion. He's GM of a franchise that, it's no secret, they have significant financial problems over there. Now, you go over to the New York Mets, where there's not going to be any financial problems, and you're also given the title of president of baseball operations. You can kind of run your own show. It's a different ballgame. So, who knows? Maybe it'll work out this time around. It didn't last time. Uh, I'm once again very skeptical on it, but undoubtedly a name that I think each of us and and many Mets fans, of course, would probably feel pretty good about now. Chernoff would be near the top of my list of the guys that we're talking about today. I think he's a perfect fit for this organization, Um, but, you know, not unlike probably everyone listening here, everyone has different career goals and, you know, not everyone wants to run the show like completely like he might be content being the number two working hand in hand with Chris Antonetti. And like, that's totally good with him. And he's comfortable in Cleveland. You know, I'm sure there's some listeners here that have worked at the same job for a long time and intend to work that same job until they retire. And there's probably some listeners that, you know, want to change companies every few years, try to, you know, make more money, get better roles at different places. You know, everyone has different aspirations. And I think, we kind of look at sports as like this different world, but to these guys, it's it's their job. So it's the same kind of deal. Like Chernoff could be a guy that might never feel the desire that he has to be the guy, and he might be content staying in Cleveland with Antonetti for the next 10, 15 years, and he'd be happy. So that's why I kind of point out how like money is not the driving factor. It's It's definitely, you know, secondary stuff. Sure, especially in a world where, you know, if you're the GM of a Major League Baseball organization, you're already making a lot of money. And it it, sometimes knowing that you can make that money for the next 10 years rather than take a leap of faith somewhere else for more money, everyone's built differently. And like you said, everyone has different, you know, motivating factors, uh, aspirations, a lot of different things that come into play here. All right, so the next one, Really interesting to me is Matt Arnold to the Brewers because somebody that David Stearns, you know, hired when when he got to the Brewers and has been promoted throughout his time at the Brewers. So he is now uh, the general manager of the Brewers who have had so much success, um, you know, developing that roster over the years. But maybe a guy that who sees, you know, a 36 year old above him and knows, yes, I have power here, yes, I have a voice, yes, I have a comfortable job, but I also now have, maybe maybe we'll have a chance uh, to run my own show. So what's the lowdown on Matt Arnold? Matt Arnold's the senior vice president and general manager over Milwaukee, as you mentioned, working under David Stearns. Um, He actually worked with the Tampa Bay Rays uh, for years before joining the Brewers, and David Stearns pulled him from Tampa, and he worked all kinds of things under Andrew Friedman, analytics, player acquisition, contract negotiation. Like when you look at Matt Arnold's resume at 42 years old, having experience with Tampa Bay and now under someone like David Stearns, this to me 
looks like the resume of somebody that may have interest in running an organization because it's clear throughout his path that he took on all different type of responsibilities at every level. And that's important. If you're running a baseball franchise, if you're a president of baseball operations somewhere, it's very important that you have knowledge of everything that goes into running a baseball department. You, you know, obviously you'll have strengths and weaknesses, but um, it's clear that Matt Arnold has taken a path that I think is something to look forward to as, you know, a potential head of baseball operations somewhere. And, you know, if the Mets were to make the call to Matt Arnold, uh, I think they would get permission. And I think David Stearns would probably recommend him really highly. So Arnold's very, very interesting to me. Um, and it's someone that I hope the Mets at least try to reach out to. All right. So next on the list, as we're kind of really going through GMs here, that you could see the potential to be elevated to president of baseball operations, which makes the Mets path a little easier uh, to talk to these guys if the feeling is mutual. The next one is Scott Harris, the general manager of the San Francisco Giants, who just had, you know, obviously quite the resurging year for the Giants. Harris is interesting to me because he was uh, with the Cubs from 2012 to 2019. So he was really there for, you know, a, a huge rehaul, rebuild, um, you know, retooling period from Theo that he probably saw how everything's done um, top to bottom, you know, blowing up an organization and then seeing it at the height of the payoff with a World Series title in 2016. And then obviously somebody that went on to get his own big time job with the Giants in 2020. Uh, really interesting background. He actually played lacrosse in high school and then went on to UCLA. So uh, not the traditional baseball background, but somebody that I think it's pretty safe to say he's a really smart guy. Um, he attended Columbia Business School. So this is somebody that uh, probably has a big time brain. And, you know, he's kind of been around now two successful big time stops in the big league. So an intriguing name, nonetheless, to me. Give us a little bit on Scott Harris. So Scott Harris uh, is the general manager working under team president Farhan Zaidi over uh, with the Giants. Uh, Zaidi came from the Dodgers, brought Scott Harris on as his general manager. And, you know, prior to going with the Cubs, kind of a mini connection. It, I don't know how much they know each other, but um, he worked with the commissioner's office uh, prior to going to the Cubs in the same time period that Sandy Alderson did. So I'm not sure if there's some relationship do they know each other i mean seems like a small enough place that they they probably cross paths but uh with the cubs he did you know a lot of stuff with research and development which is a better way of saying analytics <laughs> so did a lot of analytics stuff but he did you know other baseball related things so you know scott harris is a name to watch he's young smart um and you know maybe a slight connection here with the mets and uh, we'll see if if he's on their interview list, which is kind of how we can end every one of these. I have no idea if the Mets are going to talk to any of these guys. Uh, but, you know, last year when we were going through the candidates, I had no idea who the Mets were going to talk to. And they ended up hiring one of the ones we talked about. So uh, these are guys to keep an eye on. And Harris is no different. I think he's a, a potential rising star in the business. Um, the only question that you're going to have, I think, in the interview process is, he was in that Cubs front office, and that's where Jared Porter and those guys came from. Um, that's got to be part of the interview process. Uh, certainly not saying Scott Harris did anything like that, but uh, you always you, you got to vet backgrounds. Yeah, that's the yeah, way it goes. Yeah, you just have to vet them. But I think I think he's a very good candidate if the Mets were to reach out to him. Interesting. All right, so one more on the list is, and I want to make sure I say this right. Thad Levine. Got is it. that right? Yes, sir. Yeah, nailed it. Um, so Thad Levine of the Twins, senior VP and general manager of the Twins. He's been with them since 2016. He was with the Texas Rangers for over a decade, 2005, 2016. And then before that, the Rockies from 99 to 2005. So kind of a guy, an older guy. If you notice a trend with this list, and it's funny to call someone that's 49 older, but in, in this day and age with these names we're going through, a lot of these guys are in their 30s and, and early 40s. So... This would be someone with a ton of experience, 
um, has had a, a really interesting career arc. He joined the Dodgers in business development originally and then went to the Rockies and had a lot of different roles, uh, director roles and basically all kinds of director roles and you know, assistant GM with the Rangers in 2005 and has really flown from there. I wonder if the average listener, when hearing this, kind of, you know, bats their eye a little bit when they hear twins, right? We've gone through this list, Burns and Gomes, Dodgers, Powerhouse, sharing off with Cleveland. What they've done with the budget they've had has been nothing short of remarkable in recent years. You know, Arnold with the Brewers, of course, we love what the Brewers have done. And then Harris with the Giants, who, you know, you don't need to say much more. And of Cubs before that. So Thad Levine with the Twins, Joe, what's the breakdown? Uh, Thad Levine. And, you know, when, when we're talking about the Twins, let us not forget, they just have bad luck against the Yankees in the playoffs. I mean, the Twins have made the playoffs a few times over the last few years. They've won the AL Central. They've won 100 games. Uh, so also a bad yeah, budget, I believe. Yeah, tough budget, obviously. Um, so you know, I think they have a good front office there, and Thad is the general manager working under Derek Falvey. Um, I have some questions about his uh, desire to have this to have a job like this, but I will say he did interview for the Phillies president of baseball operations job last year, and actually took him and was considered the favorite. And I was just like, oh man, Phillies are getting a really good you know uh, executive here and he ended up pulling himself out and obviously the job went to dave dombrowski but thad levine's a guy that if he's interested in this kind of job i think he's obviously right on the precipice of it and um you know he's someone that i think the mets should be asking for permission for i frankly all these guys it would be great if they interviewed you know a handful of the guys from this list and said you know, these are guys, if you're looking to fill that president of baseball operations role, which as of now, you know, they haven't said it, but it sounds as if they're still looking to fill that. Um, at that point, you're looking for guys of this ilk. Um, if you're going to, you know, take that next step and, you know, forego president of baseball operations, which will be fine. You know, it's not something that you have to have. Um, it's just a way of, I think, building that two pronged front office approach of, having that really, you know, that top guy and then maybe one of those young, really smart up and coming guys as the GM and you have that, you know, two man show um, to me, you know, the, these are some names that all make sense. And, you know, it'll be interesting over the next two, three weeks here um, if the Mets are looking to talk to him. No doubt. Um, you know, you you were pretty much all over it when we did this last year. We didn't have some leaked list of guys they wanted to speak to and, and you're um, expected candidates were on the money. So I don't expect any different this year. I think these are always good names to know whether the Mets talk to them or not, who the upcoming up and coming executives are in baseball. And the fact is, as we read the resumes of all these guys, there's no reason to not be excited about them just because, you know, Theo, if you liked Theo or you liked Bean or you were excited for Stearns and those guys being out, like you said, those are kind of long shot candidates as, as nuts as it is to say, as exciting as this job opportunity can be, it's just simply not going to be for everyone. It is going to be stressful. There are going to be insane expectations. And it, you know what? If somebody is hesitant because of those things, then why would you want them anyway here? So the search rolls on. Hopefully next week we really have some concrete stuff to break down with this search and the clock is ticking, so I think we will. All right, so. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. 
And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It goes without saying that we are all missing travel right now. But you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals, flights, and more. And when you save more, you can do more. More, wow, this view is incredible. More, mmm, another round of room service, please. More, yes, I'm extending my vacation. Sorry, boss, if you're listening, just ignore that last part. Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, check out Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more wow, mmm, and yes, just to name a few. Make sure to download the Priceline app for even more savings. Let's get into the mailbag, huh? We've always, whenever you send that tweet out every week, uh, it really blows up. People really have great questions and not really repeat questions, which is really exciting. The ones we have this week are, uh, to me, very, very intriguing. We'll start from Bobby Palk, who asks, what should the Mets do for the outfield situation? The only surefire guy, in my opinion, is Nimmo, who starts in left field, right field, and the fourth outfielder. So definitely an interesting scenario from Bobby, and I'll, I'll counter that Nimmo is is also such a uh, polarizing option in the outfield because he is hurt a lot. So I agree that Nimmo is the guy you pencil in there to start in center field next year, or if you signed a center fielder, you can easily move him to a corner spot. And I think this exact conversation is why I feel so strongly about extending the qualifying offer to Conforto, who I think will reject it. I'll say that. But the fact that it doesn't hurt extending that offer to him it would give you some comfort and some stability in a situation that is so up in the air right now, right? We don't know if they're just going to throw Dom Smith out in left field next year. I personally don't think they will. Uh, We don't know, you know, obviously what they're going to do in free agency is the big part of this conversation, but we don't know if Khalil Lee is going to be ready to be that fourth outfielder. That might be unreasonable to expect out of him out of the gate. So this is a situation that, you know, yeah, we talk about Conforto all the time, and we talk about guys like Chris Bryant and, and Convientos move to the outfield and things like that. But this situation is definitely more fluid and up in the air, I think. What is your take here, Joe? Yeah, I definitely think it's super fluid right now. I mean, Jeff McNeil could be an option in left field, depending on course, what, yeah. what you do in the infield. Uh, Dom Smith, I know that, you know, we're, we're saying that Dom might get traded. Maybe he doesn't. You know, maybe the market doesn't materialize, and, you know, he ends up being an option in left field. Um, to me, the uh, the initial fourth outfielder is probably Kevin Pillar. I mean, he has a player option for next year. I think it's like five or six million dollars. He should take that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm I'm thinking he's probably not going to do better than that on the market. So my early guess would be Pillar would be your fourth outfielder, and then maybe Khalil Lee is your fifth outfielder, and yet you have a a lefty and a righty off the bench. Um, and speed. Yeah, and some speed. And you know, with Nemo, it depends. Exactly like you said, do they go and get a center fielder? Um, like I know the Twins are going to be shopping Byron Buxton again. I mean, he gets injured a lot, but is that someone the Mets consider? Um, are they looking for, you know, a defensive first guy that, you know, can shift Nimmo over to left and then, you know, get another big bopper in right field? Uh, it's pretty tough to kind of say, like, who starts in left or right field because there's a lot depending on free agency and trade. And things like that but um you know nimmo i think is at the center of the discussion he's going to be a part of this mix whether that's in center or left uh, i don't think he's really a right fielder so it's really center or left and really depends kind of what happens with jeff mcneil and robinson cano what's he going to do like is robinson cano your third baseman it's really not impossible to say that's the case um, is he a utility player great uh, it's going to be the outfield's going to be one to me one of the most interesting things to follow this offseason for the Mets because um, I think most of the other positions you know we've covered and it seems pretty straightforward what the plans probably are like I don't think the Mets are looking for a long-term third baseman I think they look down in their farm system and they see Brett Beatty ripping it in the Arizona Fall League right now hitting 
you know, multiple balls over 100 miles an hour, a couple over 110. Um, obviously, he had the huge year from Vientos, who will get added to the 40-man roster and uh, to avoid losing him in the Rule 5 draft. And he'll be in AAA, so he's on the cusp. And then Ronnie Mauricio's taking some reps at third base down in the uh, Dominican Winter League. So I think third base is going to be covered by someone internally eventually. Uh, so they need a short-term fix there. The outfield is completely like a lot of things can happen. Yeah, it is. I think when I look at it, you know, it's tricky, right? Because we've talked about Chris Bryant before, and that's an option that you go, okay, he could play third for a year and then right field long-term, and and you'll have one of the young kids play third. And then you go, well, what do you do at right field this year? Well, if Conforto doesn't take the QO, then that gets kind of dicey really fast. And, you know, I know I know people like Castellanos, but we know how not only bad he is defensively, but the fact of losing that first-round pick if you sign him, there's a lot of questions there. As much as I love the player, I, I don't know if that's the one where I sit there and go, oh, that makes a lot of sense. You know, there's a part of me that really likes signing Marte and moving Nimmo and, and then figuring out the rest. And then, of course, like you said, McNeil in play. I'm a believer in McNeil's bounce back. I have no problem with him being kind of that super utility guy or left fielder. It also trickles into the fact that maybe VR is back and holds down third base until one of the young guys is ready. So there's a massive domino effect here with the third base spot in comparison to the outfield. And of course, all of that plays into, you know, one and the other, right? They could go out and spend big on the outfield and, and go cheap at third base. They could do the opposite. There's, It's going to be really interesting to see how they handle it. I agree with your take on Pilar and Lee. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um you know, because I really don't think Pilar will do any better than that on the market where he should probably take that player option. But if he doesn't, then this situation becomes a little more interesting and we'll revisit it. All right, the next one's from Johnny. Do you think we'll ever see an orange alternate jersey again? I'm a guy who loves when teams get fun with their uniforms. So I don't know if it's next year or the year after, but the Nike City Connect series um, is, a, I believe, a three-year contract, essentially, and they weren't going to do all of them in one year. So as you saw this year, uh, like the Boston Marathon uniforms, they did a lot of great stuff, in my opinion. I know it was kind of, you know, not everybody loved all the uniforms. I I thought they really did a great job with a lot of them, the City Connect uniforms. So yeah, by the end of 2023, there will be 23 more of those uniforms. So obviously the Mets are in line at some point to get a City Connect uniform. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can Google. I think another good one is the White Sox, the Southside jerseys. I mean, those are awesome. So, one, I'm a fan of alternates, uh, absolutely. And to answer Johnny's question, you will see an alternate. You will see a Nike City Connect jersey for the Mets. We don't know what that's going to look like yet. And they did, in my opinion, such a good job with a lot of them this year from the Sox, both Sox, Boston uh, and Chicago. I like the Marlins a lot that I liked Arizona's a lot. I would be disappointed if they don't do a really good job with the Mets. I have a feeling it'll say Queens on the front. I don't know any like insider info on that, but it wouldn't shock me if they do something very connected to Queens or something to do with the seven train. Uh, I think they'll have to, because they'll have the Yankees as well, really need to capitalize on the borough the Mets play in rather than going with a more New York centric theme. So um, yeah, I'm excited for it. Maybe that one's orange. And uh, to me, uh, I didn't really like the orange jerseys when they had them. The Los Mets jerseys uh, didn't really do it. It looked for like me. batting practice. Yeah. Uniforms. Yeah. It didn't really, it did not do much for me. Um, you know, ultimately, I think it's possible, like you said, the City Connect jersey ends up being orange. But I think the Mets might have the perfect uniform combination like i can't think of anything i'd change about the uniforms i like the home whites and then the blue alternates the uh, the away grays and then the blue alternate uh, with the gray writing like i think the blue away jersey might be my favorite mets jersey actually um i just love it and then when you have the hat paired with it with the little gray inside the ny uh, i think that's a really fresh look and the black jerseys aren't going anywhere i don't think like, I don't think the black jersey thing was just for 2021. I have the expectation that it's a thing going forward. 
Yeah, so they needed to do the workaround with the black jerseys, which is if it's not officially approved as an alternate uniform for your team, you cannot wear it more than five times. So that's why the Mets did the black jerseys on five Fridays as a workaround of the rule. And, you know, there's uniform rules I really agree with, and then there's also things that I think are really stupid. I think baseball overall does a much much better job of it than the NFL. The one thing baseball always botched and finally fixed is letting the New York teams wear the first responder hats on 9-11. Uh, the fact that that was an issue for so long is an absolute disgrace by the league. But they've, they're have they slowly getting better with it. And, I, yeah, I'm really curious. I agree with you, Joe. It's something that we actually don't talk about a lot with the Mets is that they have beautiful uniforms. And I don't have a problem with any of the three that they consistently wear. And even the fourth uniform being the black uniforms, I, I really like that as well. I think they have... Maybe in terms of like the whole sample size, not just one kit, um, they, they have such a well-rounded set of uniforms that they wear that I don't know what Nike's going to do because they went really outside the box of Boston, right? And people felt a lot of ways about that yellow and blue combo. Uh, I was really, you know, applauding them that they went that direction. I, are they going to go really crazy with the Mets and, and throw something at us that we didn't see coming with a color palette? Or are they going to keep it simple and just kind of redo the lettering and the overall style. It's something we'll wait to see. But I think, you know, alternate uniforms are great for sports. I think it gets people excited. I think it gives fans um, just a different look, and it's a really cool thing. So the next one from Steve Miller, should the Mets go after Chris Taylor? This is a name we have not talked about in free agency very often, as much as I believe, I feel like Chris Taylor kills the Mets, but he also kind of killed everyone this year. I mean, man, for Chris Taylor, good time to be a free agent in 2022, right? I mean, he had a pretty solid year on a good team. He hit 20 home runs. His career high before that was 21. Um, stole 13 bases. You know, can play a, a lot of different positions, of course. Uh, you know, kind of, in a sense, almost like McNeil, where you can play him in the infield and outfield. To answer this question, though, truthfully, because guys like this that are on the wrong side of 30, he just turned 31 in August, uh, played on a what I would consider close to a super team, and I would stay away completely. And the reason is that I think he'll be overpaid. I think he'll start to decline. And I think that you already have a version of him that's younger and, and can give you the same production when he's healthy, honestly give you better production when he's healthy, and Jeff McNeil. So that's, I usually am not like the no, no, no on free agents kind of guy. I'm more of the, you know, fan style when it comes to baseball and go, cool, let's do it. Uh, this is one that uh, quite truthfully just doesn't do it for me. So it really depends what Chris Taylor's looking for. But the th age 31 thing that you mentioned to me makes it feel like he's a guy that's now going to be looking for a regular job somewhere. Um, he do, has to. Do, he hasn't gotten paid yeah, yet. Yeah. Do them. I mean, you can get paid as a super utility player. I mean, look at a guy like Kike Hernandez, who he's settled into playing every day now for Boston. But early on, that was not the plan was him every single day. Um, and he ended up getting $8 million a year or something like that. But uh, Taylor makes sense from the sense of versatility. Um, basically, if you have a right-handed Jeff McNeil, that, that'd be cool to have two Jeff McNeils, right? Uh, it's just a matter of what his goals are. And I would wager a guess he'd like to be a regular somewhere. And I don't know that the Mets have have that spot available for him, um, certainly with other candidates out on the market. But if he's willing to take a job where, hey, we'll find you at bats throughout the week, but it may not be every single day um, and it'll be at different positions. If he's up for that, sure. Why not? Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. You never know what guys are going to get. So if it's a, I mean, of course, if it was like a VR signing from last year, like, yeah, this is great. I, I'm just of the belief that for someone that hasn't gotten really that significant long-term deal yet coming off that kind of year, he'll, you know, he'll be an overpaid utility guy, but it, you know, it depends. It, it comes down to it. Say you do put McNeil in a trade package that you really like for a pitcher or for a, a more solidified position and, you know, you don't get VR back. Well, then why would, you know, why would you close that book um, on Chris Taylor? He, he, then there would be a significant need for a super utility player in this organization. Uh, something that the Mets really got lucky or, or made a really smart signing with VR last year and have had success with McNeil in the past. So 
We'll see how it goes. All right, this is from Ira Samet, who I really liked this question when I put in the rundown. Uh, Ira said, who of Beatty, Mauricio, and Vientos will be part of a big trade this offseason? Now, I know Joe does not like um, discussing, I feel like, trading big prospects, understandably. I think this is something that we don't discuss enough when talking about these three, is that the reality of this is one of these three should be traded. And I know that seems insane to say, but probably two of them are going to be blocked. Now, if Vientos can eventually move to a corner outfield spot, or you truly believe one of these three is going to have such a great bat that they can be a full-time DH, that's a different story. And the strides Vientos took last year, uh, that's a possibility. But I do think when you're constructing this team, and yes, you need to build up a very, very thin farm system, the fact that these three guys are all probably third baseman slash DH type players, you kind of wonder what can you get for one of them to round this thing out a little more. My gut is that none of them get traded. Um, I don't know that, at least now, right? Um, I I don't know what big trade is out there. Like we talked about, Francisco Lindor being traded this time last year. We didn't know that the Mets were going to be involved, but we knew that he was going to go somewhere. Um, There's not really that fish out there that you feel that certain is going to get traded. Um, I mentioned Jose Ramirez earlier as maybe someone who could uh, get traded. But to me, I think the smart move for the Mets is to just hang on to these guys. Because ultimately, if you end up with three really good players, you know, obviously that's that's the goal is that all these guys will pan out. Uh, but, you know, I, I just don't feel the rush. When this farm system needs to be built up, uh, you shouldn't really be trading these guys just because their major league future is in doubt. Because uh, what happens if you bank on Beatty or Vientos and trade Mauricio and Beatty and Vientos just don't really pan out and Mauricio's an all-star? So that's really kind of my thought process is, you know, obviously, if the right deal's there, I'm not opposed to trading someone like Mauricio. Uh, pers- you know, he's – I have him ranked higher in the system than Vientos, uh, but I'm a little more excited about Beatty and Vientos than I am with Mauricio. I just don't know if that big trade is there this winter like it was last year. Yeah, that's a good point. It might not be – a. It, it sh- most likely won't be a now thing. I, I think where it becomes interesting is, say, Stroman walks, right, which we think – could very well happen. And you really need to get an arm in this organization that you feel like doesn't exist on the free agent market for you, or you don't want to overpay someone that doesn't fit the number two starter role you're trying to fill. Then you got to ask yourself how much, you know, how much poker can you really play with a bankroll of, you know, Jeff McNeil, Dom Smith, JD Davis at what point is it like, okay, maybe one of those three can get us over the hump for a big acquisition? So I think that's the only way you would say. And that's, that even feels like a long shot in itself. But that's just one scenario where maybe one of these three do come into play. It, it does feel like we're far away from that right now. Yeah, it's not a, you know, don't trade them. It's a make sure you're trading them in the right deal. Like, don't just trade them because, you know, you don't know where they're going to play long term. Because these things... We say it all the time on this show, right? These things always, 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 always work themselves out. You can never have enough of anything. Like when you think you have too many outfielders, two guys get hurt, and then you're like, oh, wait, we don't have enough. When you think you have eight starting pitchers, you think that's enough. That ain't enough either. So um, let these guys continue to develop. Obviously, if the right deal comes along, almost anyone should be available except for Francisco Alvarez. Yeah, he's uh, what I would call in the biz untouchable. All right, last question from an insane Mets fan. Do you believe that the New York media and national media would rather see the Mets fail than succeed? Some of the recent tweets from Mets beat writers and national baseball writers are overly critical, yet no other team faces such a high level of scrutiny. Okay, so my take on this is national writers is a different ballgame. Local writers while they obviously do not root for the team they cover, it is way better to be a local writer when your team you cover is really, really good. Trust me. 
It absolutely is. When you are putting out content about the team you cover, going to the World Series, it probably does a lot better than your team looking for the <laughs> president of baseball operations of a bunch of guys that the average fan does not know. So I don't necessarily believe that. Now, the second part of this. The national media, I do think there's a little... And this isn't aimed at anyone specifically. I do think there's a little bit of a, a running joke of, you know, when the Mets are in the news for funny reasons or chaotic reasons, they like to run with it. And the Mets have a gigantic, passionate, loyal, diehard fan base that can be triggered by it or can laugh with it. Joe and I joke him up with the name That's So Mets for our podcast. We're literally the team we like we made fun of in the title of our podcast. So I think the national media, I don't know if it's that they want them to fail, but more so it is a very low-hanging fruit, easy thing to run with. The second part, and I don't think this applies to, this applies to such a tiny, tiny percentage, but I this is very true in my eyes. There is a Wilpon element here of, I think Jeff and maybe people around him you know, we're trying to control the Mets narrative very often, as all major organizations do. But because they were such under such scrutiny for being such a low-budget team in comparison of where they play, that things were always trying to be spun a certain way. And now this is a new ownership group that expectations are high. The fans are excited. The fans are celebrating that it's a new era with a new owner that, once again, it's a very small percentage. Maybe there are people that go, oh, this, you know, arrogant, wealthy, ruthless Steve Cohen, I'd like to really see him fail. I do think there's part of that. And it, they, you might not even know it. It might exist within you and you don't even realize it. So that's my long take on all the layers of that. I don't think the media necessarily wants to see the Mets fail. I think they get, I don't know if they get enjoyment out of it though, <laughs> a little bit. Amusement uh, yeah, might be the yeah, word. Yeah, amusement's the word. They might get a little amusement out of it because that's so Mets is a real thing and it's been a real thing for a long time. And, you know, it, it didn't change at all in Steve Cohen's first year. Uh, if anything, it was as bad as ever as far as that's so Mets type of things. Um, the national media, will always hit the low-hanging fruit. Um, the local media, you know, they're part of the job of media is to assess the team and be critical. But, you know, it, it's it's a, it's a really tough question uh, in the sense, like, I don't think they want the Mets to fail by any means. I don't think they have a rooting interest either way. Uh, but certainly the headlines that they're writing, you know, I'm sure these – writers that went to journalism school and everything they did weren't exactly, you know, looking forward to writing articles about the Mets with a pervert GM or another GM, the acting GM getting a DUI, like I'm sure that's sleeping at the yeah, wheel. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm sure that's not what they wanted to cover uh, coming into, you know, covering baseball. So no, I, I don't think so. Um, I get the perception that fans have because certainly it's more negative things are reported than positive. Also, the reality is more negative things happen than positive things with this organization. Um, and it even, you know, some of the media reflects on, you know, to the fan base as well. Like, I think there are a lot of fans out there, you know, none of which that listen to this show, of course. Uh, but there's a lot of fans out there that I feel like almost want to see the team fail so they could say I was right. Like, I think there's a little bit of that out there in the fan base. So there's a lot of negative energy around the Mets from the media, from some fans. You know, obviously you saw it at Ernest the last couple of days with the Billy Bean and David Stern's news and everyone flipping a lid. But, you know, ultimately the only way that this perception will change with the media and with the fans is the Mets hiring the right people that aren't going to get in trouble for things, them bringing in the right players and the Mets going back and doing winning baseball. Like, that's going to solve all these issues. And, you know, that to me, that's kind of, you know, I don't think they're rooting against us or against the Mets, but, you know, uh, 
at times I, I do question the fairness of some coverage from from some certain people, but you know, there's not much you could do about it. There's always going to be more critical writers and more forgiving writers, and you know, it's just it's just the nature of sports media. And you know, welcome in New York City. That's you know, there's going to be higher level of scrutiny here than if you cover the Kansas City Royals. That's just that's just facts. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to me. I thought after 2015, you know, after living a, what felt like a lifetime of Mets jokes, but really, you know, obviously after a blown opportunity, but a, a couple big time seasons, you know, 2006 and all that, um, that in 2015, you know, it would all start to, and this is idiotic of me, start to fade away like the LOL Mets kind of stuff, right? And... I think that it's it's crazy how quickly it came back that the Mets love to be a, a running joke. And, and also, you have to realize this, too. Let me say this. And I have no problem with this because I literally am this person. There are a lot of people working in sports media today that openly have an affiliation with teams and are taken very seriously as not reporters, right? Because reporters just get information and deliver it. But rather, there is a new age media that is, you know, a mix of analyst, mix of reporter, personality, uh, podcaster absolutely falls into that bucket. And, and quite frankly, that's how I found my way into NFL media with the New York Jets. And it, and there is I'm very open that, you know, I've come from a family of Jets fans and have rooted for the Jets my whole life. But I also can take the green goggles off because trust me, there's no reason to wear them and cover the NFL in an unbiased way. And I think that there is a lot... I've noticed this even more in since we've been doing our show, Joe, and I've been a little bit more into baseball media. There is a lot of people that cover baseball teams that are fans of teams. And I, I once again, it's something that does not bother me because I know, I know the feeling. But I think when you have so many people doing that, and let's be real a big majority of them are New York Yankee fans. Well, that's when the LOL Mets stuff gets amplified because you might see it and it might be like, you know, baseball personality at this. And it's like, in reality, they, they do have a, not a bias, but a certain brand or personality. So I think that also elevates it too, right? It's not like Anthony DeComo logging on and being like, oh, laugh out loud Mets. Like, look at this. Like, that. you're never going to see that. It's different types of baseball personalities covering the game um, where it's not just reporters anymore. It's a wide array of people. And I think while that's really good, it's also going to bring a different kind of coverage that my best advice for you is if you don't like it, just tune it out. Just mute those kinds of people. So... It, this was an interesting question. It really was because I don't think that uh, national media or New York media necessarily root for the Mets to fail, but I do think that they can run away with some of the low hanging fruit because sometimes it's just too easy. It definitely can be really easy, and you know I don't think they're rooting them to fail, but they're not rooting for them to succeed either, right? I think it's just you know the Mets. The Mets give the ammo like that's another thing, too, that, you know, we, you know, I, I want to continue to say where it's like this year alone. Yeah. Like, look, these people don't want to be writing about this stuff. Like, you know, like I said before, so the Mets are the ones that are giving the ammo for, you know, this type of coverage. And, you know, like Connor said, you know, pick and choose where you get your content. You know, I know, uh, you know, there's a couple Twitter accounts um, at PSL to Flushing and at Connor J. Rogers are you know, good places to go. Um, there's a podcast that's so Mets podcast where you're going to get, you know, uh, balanced coverage where we're going to be critical when we need to be, but we're also not going to just be here mocking the Mets. Um, and, and a YouTube yeah. channel. Did you and, know that? Oh, there's a YouTube channel. That's right. A dusty old yeah. YouTube channel, <laughs> which we're going to be, uh, you know, getting on here in the not too distant future. If they ever hire thinking. anyone. We'll be yeah. on. Yeah, I'm thinking that's not too too far away. So uh, we'll we'll be on for that, and you know maybe we'll even go live with that one, so we can answer questions kind of on the spot. Absolutely. All right. Well, episode sixty four. Closing thoughts, Joe. You know, it's a, a a tough go that they didn't get the top executives that they wanted, um, but you know that they're going to move on to the next group, and I'm sure they've done background previously, and now it's just working the back channels of permissions and things like that. So. 
I still have the expectation that the Mets are going to be closing it this out. You know, maybe it lingers into the very beginning of November, like I mentioned last week. Uh, but I, I don't think this is something that, you know, we're a month away from finding out the Mets. I, I sure hope we aren't a month away from finding out the Mets president of baseball operations or GM or whatever. Yeah, it certainly would be nice to get this thing going and actually talk about a manager being put in place and then, of course, constructing a roster that we expect to be um, in the postseason in 2022. So thank you so much, everyone. We'll catch you next week. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of Black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.